the Psalms are really a collection of hymns. It's, it's a hymn book. It's a collection of songs that were meant to be sung in corporate worship gatherings. And Kendall Easley uh, gives us a great summary of what the book of Psalms is about. If you had to sum up the theme, the message of the Psalms, here is what it would be. God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion in personal or community life. And so no matter what you're going through, good times, bad times, uh, mountaintops or valleys, no matter what you're going through, God is worthy of your worship and praise, and God is worthy of your confidence. You can trust Him with whatever you are walking through in your life. And the Psalms remind us of this over and over and over and over again. So the Psalms are rich expressions of praise and worship, rich uh, theological treatises on God and His character and His nature and how He works in our lives. It's been a joy just to study these psalms together with you. And we've made it to probably the most famous of the 150 psalms. Psalm 23 is probably the most well-known psalm that we have. And I've discovered that well-known passages of the Bible are well-known for a reason. The reason that Psalms uh, 23 is so well-known is because it has brought comfort and encouragement to so many Christians through the years. And so uh, it's just a, a joy to study Psalm 23 tonight. Now, I want you, if you look, there's quite a, quite a few notes. I'm going to move fast, okay? So just, if I'm talking fast, just please, just bear with me on that. But we got a lot of notes because I need to tell you this, full disclosure, I preached a sermon series on Psalm 23 probably in 2003, somewhere right in there. We were over in the hardware store. and It took me like six sermons to go through Psalm 23. And so I'm trying to condense that down into just one night. So, uh, so just bear with me on that. Let's just start by reading it together. Psalm 23, a psalm of David, verse 1. Famous words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now, I learned Psalm 23 in the King James that I grew up with, the King James Bible that I was given, my first Bible as a child. So especially Psalm 23, I, I may put in a E-T-H on the end of some words. So I may, as I'm talking it, I may say leadeth every now and then, okay? Um, ESV says, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though, and right there I want to put yea, yea, though I walk through the valley. Don't you want to put a yea right there? Even though we never talk like that. When's the last time you used the word Y-E-A in a sentence? Yay, let's go to Sonic and get a milkshake. Did anybody say that this past week? I, I don't think so. But it just fits, doesn't it? Yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Wonderful, wonderful psalm. Now, there is some debate about the setting of this psalm. Some people believe this was written early on in David's life. You know, David started out as a shepherd boy. He was tending the sheep for his father, Jesse, and he was a shepherd before he was anointed to be the next king of Israel, the second king of Israel. And so some people look at this psalm and think, you know, David was a, a poet, he was a shepherd, 
And so undoubtedly this was probably written as he was laying on a hillside one night overseeing the flock that he had charge of keeping, and he wrote these words about the Lord being his shepherd. Others think, well, no, these words come from someone that is, that is really experienced, the fullness of life, good times, bad times, mountaintops, valleys, and these words reflect someone that has been through uh, all that life has to offer, and he is reflecting on God's faithfulness in carrying him through uh, his life. Now, I believe that this was probably written near the end of David's life or as an adult, not as a shepherd boy, because I think it does reflect a maturity of reflection on, on going through difficulties in life. Uh, but there's debate there. And listen to what Spurgeon says about this, whichever view you take. Spurgeon says, Sitting under a spreading tree with his flock around him, like Banyan's shepherd boy in the Valley of Humiliation, we picture David singing this unrivaled pastoral with a heart as full of gladness as it could hold. Or, if the psalm be the product of his after years, we are sure that his soul returned in contemplation to the lonely water brooks which rippled among the pastures of the wilderness, where in early days he had, not, he had been wont to dwell. This is the pearl of psalms whose soft and pure radiance delights every eye. Only... Spurgeon could give you a sentence like that. Let me say it again. This is the pearl of psalms whose soft and pure radiance delights every eye. Of this delightful song, it may be affirmed that its piety and its poetry are equal. Its sweetness and its spirituality are unsurpassed. And so Charles Spurgeon is saying, whether you believe you wrote it early on or whether you believe you wrote it later in life, you've got to admit this is a wonderful, wonderful psalm that is really unrivaled throughout the Psalter. And so I want to walk you through the psalm, but before we get into uh, kind of the, the meat of the psalm, I want to give you kind of some introductory comments to help us to kind of think of this psalm in its proper context. So think of it like this. In this psalm, David is rejoicing that he has a personal relationship with God. You don't want to miss that. If you miss that, you really miss the point of the psalm. David is rejoicing that he has a personal relationship with God. How does the psalm start? The Lord is my shepherd. And we're saying the Lord Covenant name of God, Yahweh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The Lord is my shepherd. The God of the universe is mine. I have a relationship with him. And so he's reflecting on and rejoicing in the fact that he has this personal relationship with God, that he can call God his shepherd. Now, as we think about that, we need to think about what it means to have a relationship with the one true God. As, as Bible-believing Christians, we know that a relationship with God is only possible through Jesus Christ. If you're going to come into a relationship uh, with the one true God, you come into a relationship with the one true God based upon the work of Jesus. Jesus' death on the cross for our sins and his glorious resurrection. I believe that's what Jesus had in mind over in John chapter 10 when he said, I am the good shepherd. He was thinking of this metaphor of being the shepherd, and thinking of this idea that, that David uh, was rejoicing his relationship. The Lord is my shepherd. And, and Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. If you want to have life abundantly, you must come to me. I'm the way that you have life abundant and life eternal. And so he's tying that metaphor of shepherding into the reality that he's the only way to have a personal relationship with God. That's in John chapter 10, verses 7 through 15. And Spurgeon uh, makes a great comment here about the position of Psalm 23 in the Psalter, in the collection of Psalms. Listen to what he says. The position of this Psalm is worthy of notice. Now, this is really good. You ready? This, this is worth you coming to church tonight. You, as a matter of fact, you could leave right after this quote and you would, you'd be good to go. 
All right, don't do that, but you could, okay? You could. This position of the psalm is worthy of notice. It follows the 22nd psalm, which is peculiarly the psalm of the cross. Remember last week we studied Psalm 22, which is a beautiful, vivid picture of Jesus dying on the cross, a messianic psalm. And then Spurgeon goes on to say, There are no green pastures, no still waters on the other side of the 22nd psalm. Uh, it is only after, after me... Uh, after we have read, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me that we come to the Lord is my shepherd. We must, by experience, know the value of the bloodshedding and see the sword awakened against the shepherd before we shall be able to truly know the sweetness of the good shepherd's care. So Spurgeon is saying, you can't have still waters and green pastures without Jesus dying on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's the way that you enter in to a relationship with God, right? So it's really interesting that Psalm 23 comes after Psalm 22, the Psalm of the cross, and then the Psalm celebrating the personal relationship we have with God made available through the cross. And so a relationship with God is only possible through Jesus Christ. Secondly, because David had a relationship with the Lord, he had confidence in his care. He had confidence in his care. What metaphor did David choose to use, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to refer to God's care over his life? He said, the Lord is my shepherd. That's the metaphor that he chose to use. And what a striking metaphor that is to speak of his confidence in God's care. Derek Kidner writes, In the word shepherd, David uses the most comprehensive and intimate metaphor yet encountered in the Psalms preferring usually the more distant king or deliverer or the impersonal rock, shield, etc. Whereas the shepherd lives with his flock and is everything to it, guide, physician, and protector. And so when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's saying, the Lord is everything to me. He takes care of me. I have confidence in his care. He is my shepherd. And so he is, he is confident in God's continual concern over his life. And then one more Spurgeon quote. This is it for the night, okay? No, no more after this. I think I don't have any more. What condescension is this? That the infinite Lord assumes toward his people the office and character of a shepherd. The fact that the, the transcendent God of the universe would come down and meet us and meet our needs like a shepherd meets the needs of his sheep is really amazing, isn't it? That, that the, the God who spoke the universe into existence would care for us as much as a shepherd cares for a sheep and would be involved in our lives as a shepherd is involved in the lives of his sheep. And so uh, David has this relationship and he, and he has great confidence in his care. And so the remainder of the psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, the remainder of the psalm uh, really are a... A, a recounting of blessings that you have when the Lord's your shepherd. So what I want to share with you tonight is seven blessings that come from the shepherd. Seven blessings from the shepherd. Or let me say it like this. Seven realities that are yours when the Lord is your shepherd. Seven blessings that are yours when you uh, have come to the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, as your personal Lord and Savior, and thus have a personal relationship with God. What are the seven blessings from the shepherd. Well, they all start with P, so maybe that'll help you out if you want to remember these. The first P is provision. Provision. There in verse 1 it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, David's saying, Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack anything that I need. Now notice it doesn't say, 
uh, anything. The, the, the word want there doesn't mean I, I shall not uh, be devoid of all my um, earthly desires. He's just saying, I won't lack anything. That's the word want there. Uh, I won't lack anything that I need. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce speaks to this. He says, left to themselves, sheep lack everything. You know, the Bible compares us to sheep, right? Over in Isaiah 53, 6, it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. So we're compared to sheep throughout the Word of God, numerous times throughout the Word of God. And let me just tell you, let me just be straight up with you, that's not a flattering comparison. And there are a lot of, lot of animals in the animal kingdom that are uh, more impressive than sheep. Okay, sheep aren't real impressive animals. Uh, matter of fact, and no offense here because I'm a sheep too, but I mean they're, they're kind of dumb. All right? And, and they, can't, they can't really defend themselves. And they, they, I mean they need help in every area of their life. So how fitting it is that we are compared to sheep because we need help in every area of our lives, don't we? I mean we are. We are sheep, and so uh, he says, left to themselves, sheep like everything. They are the most helpless animals. But if we belong to the one who is self-sufficient, inexhaustible, and utterly unchanged by time, we will lack nothing. He is sufficient for all things and will provide for us. So, when the Lord is your shepherd, the first blessing that is yours is provision. God will provide for your needs. You can trust his confidence. You can trust his care. You can trust his provision for your life. And, and it's really been neat through the years. You know, Claire and I just celebrated 18 years of marriage. And it's been really been neat as we've had a particular need. And, and we'll pray specifically over something just to see God just provide. And we're able to, to say, Hey, I prayed about this, and, and you know, God provided. And, and just to look back over our lives and see God's constant provision for us in, in all sorts of areas. And by the way, provision sometimes is best seen by looking in the rearview mirror, right? When you're, in the, when you're in the heat of the battle, or you're going through tough times, or difficult times, or times where uh, there's some needs in your life and some concerns in your life, it's hard to see how God's providing. But when you stop and you look back over the totality of your life, can't you see more clearly how God provided? In crucial junctures, you can look back and say, yeah, God was there. God was in that. God helped me there. God helped us there. I can see why God allowed this to happen. God was providing. And so, David is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not lack anything that I need. That is provision. The second blessing from the shepherd is peace. Peace. Verse 2, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Peace is so critical. So critical. It would be miserable to try to live life without, without real peace. And a lot of people are trying to do it. People all around us are trying to make it through life and their souls are in turmoil. And that's miserable. Peace is a gift from God. And we need peace if we're going to experience rest and refreshment in this life. If you don't have peace, you don't have the, the rest you need, the physical, spiritual, emotional rest you need, the, the refreshment you need in this life if you don't have peace. You're going to feel always anxious, harried, uh, troubled, weighed down. If you don't have peace, you won't have refreshment, you won't have rest. You will be worn out 
by life. Now, there's a really neat book by a man named Philip Keller. It's called A Psalm, uh, Shepherd Looks to the 23rd Psalm. Have you read that? Have you read that book, Shepherd Looks 23rd Psalm? If you haven't read it, I highly recommend you just pick it up. Uh, you can probably get it in the library or uh, maybe a Christian bookstore or order it somewhere. It's not a very long book, it's, it's a, it's a, but it, it's, it's a great book. It's, it's written by a man who was a pastor, but he also lived uh, part of his life, about eight years, as a real-life shepherd. I mean, he, was, he really took care of sheep, like a real shepherd. And so he was impl- applying insights from his life of shepherding to the 23rd Psalm. He, he read the 23rd Psalm about Lord, the Lord being our shepherd. He says, I get this because I know what it's like to keep sheep. I understand the insights into this psalm. And he gives a lot of great insights into the 23rd Psalm. So I highly recommend that you uh, read that book. But uh, in this book, he shares some observations about uh, sheep's need, a sheep's need for peace. He makes the observation that sheep do not lie down easily. Do you notice what it says there in verse 2? He makes me lie down in green pastures. According to a real-life shepherd, sheep are not prone to just lie down uh, easily. Conditions have to be just right for a sheep to lie down and get some rest. So Keller goes on to say, It is almost impossible for them to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. Owing to their timidity, they refuse to lie down unless they are free of all fear. Because of the social behavior within a flock, uh, flock, sheep will not lie down unless they are free from friction with others of their kind. If tormented by flies or parasites, sheep will not lie down. Only when free of these pests can they relax. Lastly, sheep will not lie down as long as they feel in need of finding food. They must be free from hunger. So, summing it up, fear, friction, flies, and famine. Sheep must be free from each of these to be contented. And as Keller notes, only the shepherd can do that. The shepherd's job is to make sure that their sheep are free from these things that cause them angst so that they can lie down in peace and get the rest and refreshment that they need. And so, by application, the Lord's job and the blessing that we have when the Lord is our shepherd is that God will provide for you peace. He will free you from those things that cause angst and anxiety in your life so that you really can find true spiritual rest and refreshment in your life. And listen to me, only God can give you that kind of peace. Only God can do that. You'll never know, first of all, the peace of God until you know the God of peace, right? Once you know in a personal way, then he begins to give you his peace. And he even gives you mechanisms to... Uh, to uh, encounter his peace. Over in Philippians chapter 4, it says, Do not be anxious for anything, but in all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So when you feel weighed down by anxiety, instead of just being anxious about it, you, you take it and you form it into a prayer request and you place it in God's hands. You know what happens when you do that? It goes on to say in Philippians 4, The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So it gives you a mechanism to, to experience his peace when you feel anxiety in your life. When you feel weighed down by something in your life and it's causing you to, to, to be without rest, you turn it into a prayer. 
When you turn it to a prayer, then God will replace that anxiety with a peace that really can't be described. It's beyond comprehension. And that peace will guard. What do he say? Your hearts and your minds, your emotions, your, your thoughts. His peace will guard your life. And then you can find true rest and true refreshment. And so peace, true peace, real peace comes from the shepherd. It's a, it's a blessing from the shepherd. I remember uh, just uh, not too long ago, maybe a few months ago, I had a certain thing that was kind of kind of weighing me down. And, uh, and, and I was just kind of you know, thinking about it and, and kind of anxious about it and thinking about it all the time. And it's all, all of a sudden like light bulb moment. Pray about it, Wade. You know? I mean, just turn it into a prayer request, just like Philippians 4 says. And so I did that. I, I, I turned that thing into a prayer request. And I said, God, this is bothering me. It's kind of, you know, it's always in the back of my mind. And I'm tired of being bothered. About something. I'm going to give it to you. And I, I just turned it into a prayer request and put it in God's hands. And uh, when I did that, I remember the next week, I actually was trying to think about the issue that had been bothering me the week before. And I had trouble thinking of it. Like I couldn't even I couldn't even recall it. I mean, it had been nagging me for you know several days, and, and the the week after after I asked God for peace, I could barely even think. Of, I had to really think hard to think what the issue was. You know why? God replaces anxiety with peace when you pray. It's that simple, right? It's that simple. Uh, there's a song that's kind of my family favorite song right now. Our our, our family we go through different iterations of songs that we like. And so right now our song is a song called Warrior by Stephen Curtis Chapman. It was a song written to accompany the soundtrack of the movie War Room, which is a movie about prayer, uh, you, know, battling, um, you know, battling the enemy uh, on your knees in prayer. And so this, this song Warrior is about prayer. And when we get in the van now, one or several of my kids say, play Warrior, put on Warrior. And so we'll play the song Warrior, and it's got, a, it's got a great line in there about turning your, your anxieties into prayers. He says, when you pray, listen to what he says, the enemy trembles every time because he knows the battle is no longer mine. Isn't that good? When you take your anxieties and place them in God's hands, it makes the enemy tremble because he knows you're not trying to fight the battle anymore. Now it's God's battle to fight. And guess who's going to win that every time? Right? So there's this, there's this exchange that takes place when you pray. Anxiety exchanged for peace. That's, who wouldn't take that deal? Get rid of your anxiety and, and get it replaced by peace? It happens through the mechanism, the privilege of prayer. And so, uh, here in this psalm, he's saying, The Lord's my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Free from those things that cause me angst. Free from those things that cause me anxiety, I can rest and experience real spiritual refreshment in my life. And so that's the second blessing from the shepherd. Number three is pardon. Pardon. Right out beside that word restoration. Restoration really fits better, but it didn't start with a P. And I couldn't find a good word that started with P, so I just went with pardon. So it kind of gets the idea. But, but look what he says in that next verse. He, the shepherd, restores my soul. So now we know he's definitely talking about spiritual things, right? Because he, he says, I, I shall not want. When he says, I shall not want, we could say, well, he's talking about, you know, um, you know the, the material necessities of life, you know, food, shelter, clothing, relationships, those sorts of things. Or when he's talking about, you know, lying down in green pastures. Maybe he's talking about 
you know, things in our life that cause us trouble and God will give us peace and take those things away so we can lie down and rest. But it's very clear here in verse 4, he's talking about, he's talking about spiritual things, his soul. He says, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What does it mean that he, he restores my soul? Well, there are times when we struggle spiritually. Can I get an amen on that? Anyone in, in here ever had spiritual struggles? Every single one of us. There are times when we struggle spiritually. Sometimes we know what the issue is. Maybe there's an area of disobedience in our lives or something that happened and, and it's causing you know, ongoing consequences or ongoing anxiety or ongoing guilt. Or, or, or maybe we're going through a dry season and we don't even know why. We can't even really put a finger on what we're going through. But David says that when my soul needs restoring, the Lord who is my shepherd provides that. He restores my So, there are times we struggle spiritually. In those times, listen to this, our shepherd loves to cleanse us, renew us, and redeploy us. He likes to cleanse us, renew us, and redeploy us. Now, David knew about restoration. This is another reason I believe this was written later on in his life. Because David needed restoration from God during his life. Soul restoration. Because you remember... That there is a moment, among other egregious sins that David committed, there's a moment when David, who's called a man after God's own heart, did not guard his heart. And he was guilty of adultery, and then he committed murder to cover up his adultery. And the husband of the woman he committed adultery with was one of his 30 mighty men, Uriah. I mean, they were close. I mean, so this is, on all different levels, this is just egregious sin. And, and David uh, thought he got away with it because he tried to cover up by having Uriah murdered in a battle. And, and he, you know, he's thinking, okay, I'm, I'm past this now. I've, I've gotten, no one knows, right? And then Nathan the prophet comes to him, and Nathan gives him this situation. He says, hey, uh, David, there's this, there's this poor man in our country uh, king and he has one little ewe lamb and he loves that ewe lamb. He's taking care of that ewe lamb. It's been his ewe lamb, and it's just a precious, precious possession of this poor man. He said, "But there's this other guy who decided he wanted his ewe lamb, and and this other guy just took it from him." And they said, "Well, that man should be punished, right? You don't just take the man's ewe lamb." And Nathan said, "King David, you're the man. You took." Uriah's precious possession. You took his wife. And that's serious business. And so David uh, begins to repent. And you can read about his repentance over in Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51 he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Cleanse me as with hyssop. Hyssop was a branch that was used for, for cleansing. Cleanse me as with hyssop. Create in me a clean heart, O God. David knew that there are times in our lives that we need soul restoration. Because he experienced it there as he repented and got right with God in Psalm 51. Now, my favorite illustration that Philip Keller uses in his book, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, is on this point of the Lord restoring our soul. And he uses the illustration of a cast sheep. And this really helps me to understand restoration so well. 
He said one of a shepherd's jobs is to scan the flock because there are times when sheep who are somewhat clumsy can stumble and fall, maybe in a depression in the ground, and they can roll over on their back. And they're laying there on their back with their feet in the air, and they can't get back on their feet. I mean, they're just laying there, feet in the air. And if they lay there long enough, the gases in their body begin to build up, and they'll die in that position. So a shepherd's job is to, is to scan the flock. And if he sees a, what he calls a cast sheep, a sheep laying on his back with his feet in the air, how's that for a picture of helplessness? Laying on his back, feet in the air, the shepherd comes along. That's what he does. He finds the sheep that's hurting, that's in danger of, of death, and he picks him up and puts the sheep back on his feet and gets him back to the flock. Now, that's a beautiful picture of restoration. Because there are times when we will find ourselves struggling spiritually, and we're like sheep flat on our back. And it is in those moments that we need the Lord to come along, listen to me, pick us up and put us back on our feet. That's what restoration is. That's what cleansing and forgiveness is. That's what God does. He is a restorer of our souls. Maybe my favorite example of this in the Bible is the story of Peter. And I love it even more now that I've been to Israel. Uh, you know, Peter uh, denied Christ three times on the night that Jesus Christ was betrayed by Judas and arrested by the Jewish religious leaders. Remember that story? And different people came to Peter and said, are you one of the disciples who's with uh, Jesus? And I was not with him. Three, he denies him. And the cock crows just like Jesus said it would. And Jesus, uh, Peter runs off and he goes to a corner somewhere and it says he weeps bitterly. And he had failed. He had denied Jesus Christ. Serious business. But then, after the the uh, death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter's out fishing. I believe that Peter said, I'm done with this you know, disciple thing. I'm done with all, I'm, I'm going back to fishing. That's what I know. I, I was following Christ. I was a disciple, but I blew that. I failed. So I'm going to go back and just go fishing. And so he's, he's fishing and, 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 and Jesus comes along on the shore and tells him to put their net down another place. And anyway, they come to know it's Jesus Christ and and Peter comes up to the bank, and they eat fish together. And we were at the place, I think that really happened on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Pretty awesome. That was one of my favorite places on the Sea of Galilee. And, and it's just this remarkable story. And during their subsequent conversation, Jesus is talking to Peter. They're eating fish together on the beach, on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? He asked him three times, and there's a change in the Greek word. The first two times he says, do you, uh, do you phileo me? And the word phileo is the word, do you love me like a brother? You know, Philadelphia, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Do you phileo me? Do you, do, you, do you love me like a brother? And Peter's like, yeah, I love you like a brother. Yeah, don't you know I love you like a brother? And then the third time he says, um, no, no, no. The first time he says, do you agape me? Do you agape me? Do you, do you love me with that God-like kind of love? And Peter's like, yeah, I agape you. I love you. I love you. I love you. The third time, 
he says to Peter, do you even really phileo me? Do you even love me like a brother? And he kind of, and, and, and Peter knows he's talking about his failure and denying him. And Peter uh, is confronted again with his failure, but Jesus doesn't leave him there. Jesus restores him and says, hey, I've got plans for your life. And he gets Peter back in the game and Peter becomes a great apostle preaching uh, the gospel on the day of Pentecost because Jesus Christ restored him. And so what does, what does Jesus do for us? He, he pardons us. He restores us. He puts us back on our feet when we are struggling spiritually. That's the third blessing. Here's the fourth blessing from the shepherd. Petition. Petition. Now, this is a really interesting insight. I don't remember the first time I saw this in the 23rd Psalm, but when I first saw it, I thought, that is really neat. So here's the insight. Ready? In verses 1 through 3, David is talking about God. Just like we're doing right now, we're talking about God. But there's a shift in verse 4. And in verses 4 through 6, David begins to talk to God. That's pretty cool, isn't it? In other words... He's talking about the shepherd in the first half of the psalm. But starting in verse 4, he starts to talk to the shepherd. Why? Because prayer was an available blessing to those who know the Lord is their shepherd. Because the Lord is the shepherd, David could talk to him in prayer. Petition was, was something that was a gift from God. Because the Lord is our shepherd, this is in your notes, the awesome privilege of prayer is available to us. Because he's our shepherd, we can do more than just talk about God, as important as that is. We can actually talk to God. How cool is that? As I said in my sermon on Sunday about the Trinity in prayer, uh, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, you and I can go into the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God, anytime we want, and we can stay as long as we want. Amen? And so prayer is a great, great privilege. Petition. He, he starts to talk to the shepherd because prayer was available. And so the fourth thing is petition. The fourth blessing is petition. The fifth blessing is presence. Verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Here's what we learn from verse 4. Life is full of valleys. Valley, uh, the valley here is used as... Uh, a picture, a, a metaphor, if you will, of, of difficulty. And life is full of difficulties. Life is full of valleys. Have you found that to be true? Life is not easy, is it? And we must all face the ultimate valley of death. He's speaking of a particular valley, walking in the valley of the shadow of death. Hebrew there is Salmaveth, the, the, the place of deep darkness which is probably a, 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 a metaphor for uh, death, a place of deep darkness. And so, life's full of valleys, and then at the end of a life full of valleys, guess what? You've got to walk through the valley of death. That'll really cheer you up, won't it? Let me give you some statistics. One out of one die. Right? Aren't you glad you came to church tonight to hear that? I mean, isn't that a blessing? Isn't that that, that cheer you up? Let me give you another statistic um, or another fact. Um, We're all one day closer to our death than we were yesterday. Right? But here's the deal. If the Lord is our shepherd, we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear death. 
We don't, have to, we don't have to give death a second thought. And that's what he's saying here. Even though I walk through the valley of deep darkness, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? You are with me. What, what is the ultimate problem with valleys? Fear, right? Fear. That's what makes valleys so hard. We're, we're fearful. That's what makes death um, such, a, such a, 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 a troubling thing for so many because there's fear in, in death. There's fear in the reality of death. But we combat fear in the valleys with a constant awareness of his presence. In other words, we don't have to fear if God is with us. If the Lord is your shepherd, you never walk through a valley alone. Even if you don't feel his presence or can't sense his presence, based upon the authority of the word of God, he is with you. He said in his word, he will never leave you nor forsake you, right? He said, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. So on the authority of the word of God, you, you, as a Christian, you have never walked through a valley alone. You've never faced a difficulty in life by yourself. Now, you may have thought you were by yourself, but you weren't. God was right there with you. Again, this is something you can see maybe in hindsight. You know, hindsight uh, it gives you clearer vision over what God has done in your life. And, and, and God has always walked with you through every valley that you have encountered. And guess what? When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, either you experience it through losing a loved one, which is so difficult, or you experience the coming reality of death yourself. Guess what? God is there with you. And the Bible says that at the moment of death, angels carry you on into heaven. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? You just transition in the presence of God uh, to the, 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 the realized presence of God. And so uh, we need to understand uh, this idea of God's presence in our lives. We combat fear in the valleys with a constant awareness of his presence. Death for the Christian, it, 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 it just, it, it's, it's, it's just a transition. Death is just going home. It's just going home, right? It's just, it's just going home. And we don't have to fear it. God is with us even through the valley of the shadow of death. So when you find yourself in a valley, when you find yourself in a valley, you got to preach to yourself sometimes, all right? And you got to say, God, this is hard. God, I'm scared. God, I'm, I'm anxious. But I know you're with me. Help me to realize your presence here in this valley. But there's another blessing that comes from the shepherd, and it's the blessing of protection. Verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The metaphor shifts in verse 5 to from a shepherd to a host and his guests. Now, there's debate on this. Some scholars believe that this is still shepherd sheep, uh, you know, terminology or, or, or symbolism. As a matter of fact, Philip Keller, who wrote A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, believes this is still shepherd talk, okay? Verse 5. I, I disagree with Keller on that one point. There's still a great book, and there's some great insight in that part of the book. Uh, I, I think the metaphor shifts here. Uh, the metaphor shifts to someone hosting a guest. Because look at the, the words that are used. A table... Um, I've, I don't know about you. I've never seen a sheep eating at a table. Have, have you? I don't, I don't, I mean, okay. Um, uh, no, my head with oil, my cup overflows. Um, these, these just seem like, um, 
metaphors that speak better of a host and his uh, guest. Now, I could be wrong, okay? Philip Keller may be exactly right, but that's just the, the, where I come down. Uh, the idea in verse 5, verse 5 is really powerful. Some of this verse gets skipped over because it's between, you know, verse 4, valley shadow death, and verse 6, you know, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Verse 5 can be missed sometimes, and verse 5 is powerful. The idea of this verse is that our enemies are, listen to this, powerless to stop the Lord's blessings in our lives. Our enemies are powerless to stop the Lord's blessings in our lives. Look what he says there in verse 5. You prepare a table before me, before me that's provision. Uh, you anoint my head with oil, that's God's uh, blessing, uh, e- even God's anointing to a place of service. Um, my cup overflows, and all of this is happening in the presence of enemies. Surrounded by enemies, and yet God is blessing him. And, and they can't stop God's blessing. This is the blessing of protection. Derek Kidner says, It is one thing to survive a threat, as in verse 4, quite another to turn it into triumph. Every detail here is that in that is in that key. From the well-set table to the festive oil and brimming cup, the picture may be one of cool assurance under pressure, a witness to infinite resources in the worst of situations. And so here's what David's saying. Even though I live my life surrounded by enemies, they could not stop you from blessing me as my shepherd. That's what he's saying. And if the Lord is your shepherd, he has blessings for you. He will take care of you like a shepherd takes care of his sheep. And listen to me. Satan can't stop it. The world can't stop it. Enemies of God can't stop it. No one can stop God from loving you like a shepherd loves his sheep. Amen? That's the point of verse 5. But here's the, the sixth the six or seventh promise, sixth verse. We've talked about the blessings of provision and peace and pardon and petition and presence and protection. And, and, and finally, we've come to promises. Promises. Look in verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We see in this verse the promise of abundant life and the promise of eternal life. What about abundant life? He says there, goodness, mercy. Um, th- that word mercy is the word kessed. Sometimes translated loving kindness. I think ESV went with mercy to kind of uh, help us to remember the familiarity of the King James. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. But the word is kessed there in the Hebrew language, which is a really rich word. It's kind of the Hebrew word for grace and uh, favor and mercy and loving kindness, kind of all in one. It's just, a, it's just a powerful word. And so surely goodness and kessed will follow me all the days of my life. So here's, here's the deal. If you, are, if you are a sheep that belongs to the chief shepherd, if the Lord is your shepherd, his, here's the promise, his goodness and his kessed, his loving kindness, his mercy is following you every day of your life. And it gets even better. That word follow there is a word usually used to speak of people um, hunting down prey or animals hunting down prey. It was used to bad guys in the Bible of hunting down folks. So he's saying this, goodness and mercy will, will hunt me down. Pursue me is kind of a better translation. Pursue me all the days of my life. And so uh, like uh, Roscoe says, God is in hot pursuit. Remember Roscoe? Oh, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, Roscoe Coulter, yeah. Right, uh, uh, God's in hot pursuit. He, he is following you, pursuing you every day of your life with goodness and mercy, right? Every day. 
His goodness and mercy are following after you. That's abundant life. Over in John 10, 10, the Bible says that the thief, Satan, comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. God wants you to, to have abundant life, joy and purpose and meaning and fulfillment. And if you will, if you will, if you will stop and pause and think about the Lord being your shepherd, you will see those blessings heading your direction. If you will surrender to him and receive them daily. But here's the other promise, eternal life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I believe David is spending some time later on in his life looking back over his life and how the Lord as a shepherd had provided for him and protected him and and carried him through valleys. And now he's looking forward and saying, soon and very soon I will go to the house of the Lord, which I believe is uh, a statement that means heaven, and I will dwell there forever. That's the promise of eternal life. And so listen, if you're a Christian, if the Lord is your shepherd, you just can't lose. It's been fixed. The whole thing's been fixed by God. Right? You can't lose. Hey, if you live however long God wants you to live, guess what? Goodness and mercy are following you. If you die, you go to the house of the Lord and you dwell there forever. Those are some pretty good promises, aren't they? And these are yours. These are promises for you if the Lord is your shepherd. If you've come to the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior. And so there are promises here that we celebrate. And so there are so many great blessings that are ours when the Lord is our shepherd. Now here's the closing thought. And this doesn't really tie into what I was saying, what kind of does. But this is kind of a little extra. And it's just one of those things that was just too good not to share. Okay, this comes from Warren Wearsby. And I read this and I thought, that is awesome. So I, I'm just sharing it with you. Okay, so let's just make this our closing thought tonight. And I want you to read it to you. The Lord is Jehovah God. The Lord is my shepherd. The covenant-making God of Israel. The compound names of Jehovah in the Old Testament, and sometimes Jehovah is translated Yahweh or pronounced Yahweh. The compound names of Jehovah in the Old Testament reflect the contents of this psalm. And so you see this, these areas in Scripture where God gives us his names, right? Related to his covenant name, Jehovah or Yahweh. And he adds something to it to show a different aspect of his character and his nature. And what... Wearsby is saying is that the blessings of Psalm 23 are all accompanied by uh, a name of God. So let me just show you some examples. I shall not want lines up with Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Genesis chapter 22, verse 14. The still waters remind us of Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace, Judges 6, 24. He restores my soul, reminds us of Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals, Exodus 15, 26. Paths of righteousness remind us of Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness, Jeremiah 33, 16. You are with me, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there, Ezekiel 48, 35. Presence of my enemies, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner, Exodus 17, 15. Anoint my head, Jehovah Imkadish, the Lord who sanctifies, Leviticus 20, verse 8. Isn't that cool? And so as you think about the names of God that he reveals to us related to his covenant name, the Lord, they line up with these blessings found in the 23rd Psalm. And so you can celebrate the blessing in the 23rd Psalm, and you can call out to the God by the name that lines up with that blessing. The next time you're thinking of the Lord restoring your soul or the Lord leading you in paths of righteousness, you can call out to uh, Yahweh or Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord my righteousness, and you can call him by name and thank him for that blessing that is yours in the 23rd Psalm. And so it's rich. There's so much here 
in this psalm. So much food for thought. But listen to me. If all of this is available, provision, protection, you know, petition, pardon, promises, if all these things are available, why would anybody turn that down? These are blessings waiting for people that embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And why would someone be confronted with those realities and say, oh, no, thank you. Not interested. Just doesn't make good sense, does it? There is so much that is offered us in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we have a great message to share with the world that, hey, when the Lord is your shepherd, when you embrace Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you experience Him as your shepherd.